Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Amen. Good morning, church family. My name's Heather. Thank you. One good morning. Good morning. Um, as Nathan said, my name's Heather, and I have the honor and privilege to serve alongside my husband, Stephen, as the recovery ministers here um, on staff at Graceland Church. And I am excited to be with you today as we begin this Advent season. And Advent means arrival or coming. The Advent season is where we stand right in the middle of two realities. And as we enter into this Advent season, we're reminded that there was an arrival that's already happened. That was the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, but as Christians, we look back in remembrance to what has already happened, but we also look forward to what will happen in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we stand in the midst of two tensions, and as we begin our Christmas Advent series, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, which are joy, love, peace, and today I'm excited to share on hope. Hope is something that I treasure. Hope is the reason that I live today, and hope is the reason that I continue to live each day. Real hope. Real hope. For some of us, we put our hope in people. For some of us, we put our hope in a government or an ideology or, or a system. We place our hope in a thousand different areas. And I want you to ask yourself today, where are you placing your hope today that you believe will fill you up and satisfy your aching, your longing in your soul? The reality is that all things this side of heaven will dissipate uh, to some degree. And if everything dissipates, then what or who holds my hope? We use the word hope in our daily language all the time. Like, I hope it stops raining so that I can go play golf today. In the Bible, it's used over 200 times, meaning a confident expectation in the future. A, a contagious enthusiasm for what will come. And if you'll read with me, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We come before you in great honor. 
We come before you in gratitude and thanksgiving. We come before you in hope that we never lose sight of your presence. Holy Spirit, come. Be with us in this place today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So there is a significance to the birth of Jesus. And Christmas is the day that we celebrate the earthly birth of our Savior. His birth into this world was planned. It it, it actually took 42 generations before he arrived. His birth is special. No one else in all of history gets the same treatment as Jesus. He's in a special category all by himself. We've searched all over and none can compare. There's a lot of debates about a lot of things and and issues that we can debate in the Bible, but there are two things that we cannot debate on, and one of them is the resurrection and the fact that Jesus conquered death. And the other is the authenticity of the virgin birth. And if we were to compromise on that, we would equate Jesus to just a normal human being, but we know that he is not. He is God wrapped in flesh. He is God with skin on. And these are significant because what you believe dictates your hope. The first thing I want to talk about today is that Jesus came to express the hope of God through his divine conception and birth. This is fulfilled prophecy from Isaiah in chapter 7 where it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before Mary was even born. This is how we know. This is how we know that his his conception and, and his birth are divine. It fulfills the scripture. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. This is what Christmas is about. This is the message. Jesus came to express the hope of God. And when we're celebrating, we're reminding ourselves that, that Scripture is fulfilling itself, that Jesus is God wrapped up in human form, and we can put our confidence in Scripture, and we can put our confidence in Jesus. Isaiah 11.1 1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is a promising prophecy from Isaiah to a people who have been cut down to almost nothing. God was up to something in the nation of Israel. You see, Israel had placed their hope in other gods, but the promise of redemption echoes over 700 years before the birth of Christ through the prophet Isaiah. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Could it be, could it be that the branch Isaiah speaks of is the baby born in the town of Bethlehem? That Isaiah is seeing seven centuries into our present hope. Peter calls it a living hope. The author of Hebrews calls it an anchor for our souls. Paul in the New Testament, he he takes the gospel to the Gentiles and he says in in Romans chapter 8, 24, he talks about the nature of hope and he says, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, if we can hold on and hold out and hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently, and patience is the proof of hope. Sometimes we have to learn that the hard way. Hope is something we all need, yet so many of us don't have. There's been times when I have felt so hopeless, and I've had a choice to to make to either believe in him and the hope that I know he offers in the supernatural. Luke 18 says, always pray and never lose hope. So when bad things happen, I'm either going to panic or I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship or I'm going to worry. What is hope? Hope says it's bad. I still believe. I still believe. And when the going gets tough, we ask God to just throw chaos and confusion into the enemy's plans. There are some seasons that will take you down. They will cut off your branches and they will prune you to the core. But even in the pruning, there is a promise. Isaiah said, I see a stump cut down to nothing, but I see a shoot coming from that stump. Amen. The second thing I want to share with you today is about real hope. And real hope is based in God's word and not my wishes. I believe we can learn from Mary. She's one of the distinctive parts of this story. And I want to be fair here. I feel like we, we tend to make too little of Mary except for every year in the month of December. She is a woman to be esteemed. And don't be confused, not worshipped. I mean, here Mary is from this little podunk town. She's, she's everything you would think that she shouldn't be. And yet God said, that's exactly the kind of person that I want to use to carry out my huge assignment in this world. God has this uncanny habit of using people that the world might often overlook. I love that. God delights in using the most unlikely people because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him and and his glory and what only he can do. We all have brokenness at some point in our communities In our families, we will experience that. And you might be asking yourself today, is God going to come through for me? Does he really mean what he says? Hope can be challenged. Does God really see me? Can you imagine Being a young girl and an angel appears to you? That wasn't part of her plan. She was betrothed to Joseph, and the age of betrothal is is like 12 to 14. So don't picture some 20-year-old something. Joseph was about 18 to 20. And and the the betrothal just means it's something stronger than an engagement, but it's not marriage. But back in those days, it, it required a certificate of divorce. And if somebody was betrothed to somebody and they were caught in relations with someone else, they would have been stoned. But this is a serious relationship. And in Luke 1, 
30, it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So this angel shows up and says, Mary, we have an assignment for you. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. We know she must have experienced some fear because the angel said, Do not be afraid. She must have shown some kind of fear, and I can't imagine what what could have been going through her heart and in her mind in that moment. She must have been thinking, if I say yes to this angel's invitation, what is the community going to say about me? What are my parents going to say about me? What is Joseph going to think about me? Will he stay with me? Will I be all by myself? All of that stuff had to have been surrounding Mary. And the angel said, do not be afraid. And notice Mary's disposition here in Luke 138. Mary said, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She stayed. She stayed in communion and she stayed in conversation right there with the angel. And sometimes when the Lord invites us in somewhere, we oftentimes resist. We resist because we just, we want to pull out, we want to pull away from it. Things get uncomfortable. Maybe out of fear, maybe out of inadequacy, maybe out of shame, but instead to have this hope and remain right where God is calling you into because you have this certain hope, and certain hope is a biblical hope. Certain hope is knowing for certain that you're going to have what you hope for. For her to say yes to the angel is literally trusting God with her life. That's real hope. That's real hope. And the third thing today is that we hope in the living God who has a divine name and character. When God gives a name... There is important truth in that name, and there is character wrapped all up in it. Jehovah, salvation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the bread of life, the deliverer, the Lamb of God, the seed of Abraham, chief cornerstone, I am king of kings. I could go on and tell you that he is the lily of the valley. He is the bright and morning star. He is Emmanuel. He is the root of David. He is the Holy One. He is a heart fixer and a mind regulator. He's all you need in this life. He's all you need in this life. The Philippians says his name is above every name and that every knee will bow and that every name tongue will confess. I'm not ashamed of the name of Jesus. I got healed and delivered in that name. And there is no other name. And at the mention of his name, demons will will tremble and, and the devil backs down. We sang earlier, speak Jesus. God knows what he's doing and he knows when he's doing it. We hope in Jesus. And when we hope in Jesus, we get this brand new energy to overcome absolutely everything. Jesus, the Son of God, he exists. We matter to him. 
And he has the power to help us in and through anything. This is where our hope comes from. The problem is we put our faith in other things. We put it in politics. We put it in in, in spending. If only I had this, then I would be happy. We put it in anxious thoughts and depression and fears. We put it in accomplishments. We put it in our relationship. But we, as believers, we name our hope. We know where it comes from. It's not a place. It's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. He came to enable us a relationship with God, not religion. I often wonder... Why would anybody want to spend all of eternity in heaven with him? But they don't want to know him now. Friends, we need to know him now. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Show Jesus' humanity. And the fact that he eats, and then on the cross he got thirsty. And in John 11, it shows that he had emotions. It says Jesus wept. He experiences pain. His humanity is important because it makes him relatable. Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he is without sin. You know, one of my biggest pet peeves, I love sports, and I love to watch the Olympics, and I love to watch football with with my family, and one of my biggest pet peeves is when the announcer is there, especially with figure skating, because that's a close one to my heart, and the announcer has never played the sport. There's like this, this... this sense of no conviction at all. There's no relatableness, and there's no connection to the game or the sport. In life, we don't have this God that we serve who just sits up high and looks down low. But he came down low. He came to sympathize with our weakness because while he was fully man, he was fully God. And the gospel shows the deity of Jesus. His goodness is on display where he walks on water, where he he calms the storms, where he raises people from the grave like Lazarus. He feeds the multitude with just a few loaves of bread. His deity is constantly on display. And it's important because Jesus and his humanity can can relate to my humanity. But in his godness, he can overcome my weakness. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is, is absolutely everything when it comes to hope. Tim Keller wrote in his book, Hidden Christmas, about the incarnation. He said, over the years, I've had fruitful dialogues with many members and many leaders of other religions. And he talks about the different ones. And he says, I've been convinced that what makes the difference for Christianity is the incarnation. There's no other faith that says God became flesh. 
It's a distinctive mark of Christianity that God became flesh. Jesus is God with skin on. He is Emmanuel with us at the grave of a loved one. He is Emmanuel with us with our child in the ER. Or when when we're at our lowest point in our life, he's with us. And if you want to know what God is like, I want to tell you today to take a look at Jesus. Whatever your perception of God is, Jesus came himself to bring hope for us, for us. There's a story about a man named Joshua Bell. Several years ago on this cold January morning, he made his way to the metro station in Washington, D.C., and he pulled out his $3.5 million violin. He was a world-class violinist, and he played for 45 minutes. He played pieces from Bach. While thousands of individuals hurried past him on their way to to their businesses and and, and to get to their jobs. Thousands of people passed this world-famous violinist not realizing that just two days prior, he sold out a theater in Boston where the tickets were over $100 a piece. He played in the cold, outside, people rushing by. And in the 45 minutes, only six individuals stopped to recognize him. Six. They had no idea who was in their midst. And in that 45 minutes, he took in $32. To a much greater degree, the same could be said of the 33 years that Jesus spent on this earth. Here he is, God in flesh. Emmanuel, God with us for 33 years, and most people had no clue what was in their midst. Most continued to do life the way they always had, even in the presence of Jesus Christ. Few had any idea who he was. They didn't grasp the power of the incarnation. We are facing a time in our world where the hope of Christ is missing. And I love the way that Pastor Rick Warren out of Saddleback Church in California says it. He says, when a culture forgets to hope in God, wealth is idolized. Truth is minimalized. Life is trivialized. Abortion abortion legalized. Television vulgarized. Advertising essentialized. Everything sexualized and commercialized. Conscious desensitized. Education secularized. Free markets are monopolized. Politics polarized. Sports scandalized. Our morals and ethics are liberalized. In entertainment, crime is sensationalized. Drugs legalized. Sin is glamorized. The courts are paralyzed. The breakup of the family is rationalized. Manners are uncivilized. Christians are demonized, and God is marginalized. He says, it's no wonder we have no hope. We've forgotten God. And we're not the only ones. There are other people who missed him at Christmas. The innkeeper. Oh, if he only knew. I bet you he would have found a room. I bet you he would have. The innkeeper didn't have any room. And I wonder if you can ask yourselves today, do you? Do you? 
They were so into politics and they were so into money that they missed it. King Herod missed it. Matthew 2, 3 says, when he heard about the wise men, Herod's like, I'm the king of the Jews. What do you mean you're looking for the king of the Jews? And just like us, Herod didn't have room for two kings in his life. We miss Jesus trying to rule our own life and and be our own king and, and be troubled by the fact that he is the only king. People don't want Jesus to interfere with their lives their careers, their family, their plans. But I will tell you today that when Jesus shows up to be king and he is rejected, there is going to be trouble. You want Jesus all up in your vicinity, but not on the throne. And I know in my own life, I can say, I've been there. I've been there. But if Jesus can't, overrule you. If Jesus can't silence you and tell you no when you want a yes, then you're not celebrating the hope of Christmas. You're celebrating you. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. The religious folks, they missed him. We're told that King Herod, he goes to the religious leaders and he asks, where's the Messiah going to be born? They're like, Bethlehem. It's this little two-bit town. They knew the scripture, but they didn't go to Bethlehem. You know who went? The wise men. The ones without any training, they're the ones who went. He says, you search the scriptures, but you do not have life because you do not come to me. Friends, he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do, even if you haven't experienced him in a certain way yet in your life. And even if your experiences are so small and your understanding is so small, I need you to know today that he is not. He is good. He's been good since the garden, and he's been good since before that. And if that's not your conviction today, I want to encourage you today to just prophesy over your life that he is good. This is our God. He is so good. He is by nature a good God. And you'll go through some storms in your life. You'll go through financial breakdowns and and relational and and physical struggles. But today I want to encourage you to have this hope. That if everything dissipated and we ask who or what could we put our hope in? Here's Romans 15. Paul writes to the Romans and this is like his crown jewel. It's like his masterpiece. He lays out the foundation here in chapters 1 through 11. In chapters 12 through 16, he closes the letter with his personal remarks and greetings. And at the end of chapter 15, it's almost as as if Paul sets down the pen and breathes out a prayer for his people. In Romans 15, 13, it's a benediction of sorts. Paul hopes for his readers, his church, and he says this, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God is the source and the supplier of hope. 
And Paul displays the very nature and essence of God. You know, if Mary didn't say yes, there's no legacy because there's no hope. We are structured to not have to experience hope so often unless we are forced to. And if you want real meaning in your life, real significance, you're going to have to hope in God. Hope like a 12-year-old girl who said on the front end, she said, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to work, but my hope is in God. Maybe you haven't entered into a relationship yet with this Emmanuel. Maybe today you acknowledge the way that you've been navigating life hasn't actually been working out for you. I had to come to that point in my own life. Maybe God has allowed you to come to the end of yourself so that you can let go of whatever is holding you back from hoping in him. And maybe that's hard for you today. Maybe that's hard. Maybe today you say, I'm a sinner. I'm a flawed person, and my sin is separating me from experiencing real hope in this holy God. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Amen. And on his way to the cross, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by me. And I want to encourage you today to let go, to trust in the one real hope. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things we cannot see. Isaiah said, I see a stump. It's cut down to nothing. He said, but I see a shoot coming from that stump. Let's worship today together. Friends, as we speak, Jesus, will you stand with us as we worship? God, even the things that we don't see the fruition of yet, we thank you ahead of time because our hope is certain. Even when things aren't exactly how we thought they would look, our hope can still be certain because you can turn even what the enemy intends for evil for good. You take broken situations and you breathe life into them. You take the mess we make and you breathe life into it, God. So we have unchanging hope and we rest in it today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so very thankful for the caliber of preachers and teachers God is blessing our church with. Wasn't that awesome? Thank you, Heather. That was awesome. Really great. Really, really great. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for putting all the work in on that. We're really grateful. Um, We pray you're filled with hope today. I'm gonna pray a benediction over us. May the God who is our fortress embolden you as he provides you with peace to lift up those who are hurting to comfort the weak, to be like a stream that flows from the river of Christ and a lamp that illuminates those lost in the night. May you take comfort in the imminence of God from beginning to end, knowing that the God who breathed life into our lungs will one day wipe every tear from our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a great afternoon.